tonight? What are you going to do the rest of your life? And ultimately, where are you going to spend your eternity? God knows that. And last week, I want you to open up to Psalm 139. Michael referenced a few of these passages. But I want the entire text to really hit you the way that the entire text should. Because sometimes when we get in these debates, and again, I am new to the debate format. The very first debate that I ever participated in was early 2017. Uh, this is now debate number three for me, so you might call me a novice. So I've not ever seen this done, and I have not studied debate, because you know what? I'm not really good at that kind of thing. But I do know what the Bible says. And the Bible clearly says that God knows everything about me. From beginning to end. And I want you just to read here with me the words of David in Psalm 139. David said, O Lord, Jehovah, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, old Jehovah, you know it completely. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. And if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is his light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. And your eyes saw my unformed substance. And here it is, in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. What did David believe about what God knew about him? You'll notice just a few things there. You'll notice there back in verse 2, in the latter part, that he discerns my thoughts from afar. God understands, God perceives, God gets everything that I do in my mind even from a great distance. So much from a great distance that as he says towards the end there in verse 4, that even before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. I want you to think about that. If God knows what you are going to say before you say it, what does that mean? God knows everything about you including your eternal destination, because He knows how you're going to handle every single event. 
And clearly, if you look down in verse 16, clearly He has given us a certain amount of days. And we'll emphasize that again. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. I wasn't even whole yet. And in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for thee. God has given you a certain amount of days before you were ever born. So my grandmother passed away yesterday. So she got 94 years and, what, three months? And God knew that before she ever became Mama Dean. That's what Psalm 139 tells us. That is what I believe God knows when He understands everything, that He knows everything about me. My days, my eternal destination, my thoughts, all of that, long before I ever do anything. How much time do I have, James? i got four minutes. Okay, I want you to look at something else here. You say, Wes, that's pretty loose. That's pretty ludicrous. That God would know so much about me, even in these different situations. I want you to go to the, to the book of Acts. I want you to go to Acts chapter 8. Remember, Jesus used the phrase very frequently. My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. And then, boom, all of a sudden, it's time to come. His hour had come. That was all known about ahead of time. We say, okay, what's well, got to do with the crucifixion? Well, what do you think about Acts chapter 8? That there was this guy, Philip, and he is commanded by the Lord down in verse 26 to rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And this was in the desert. And there was a eunuch, as we know, that Ethiopian who was going there. He was returning. Now, I want you to notice verse 29. The Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip went, and we know that he preached the eunuch the gospel. I want you to think for just one second here. Why was the eunuch chosen out of all the people that would have been traveling from Jerusalem to Gaza? There would have been other people that were going from Jerusalem to Gaza. But God tells Philip, specifically through his spirit, go there. Philip went. And you see that chariot? Go join them. Well, the answer to that is because God knew what the eunuch would do. See, God knows everyone's hearts. So why am I going to go and send a messenger to someone who is going down, say, to Egypt? That is not going to respond to the gospel. But yet, he knew the eunuch's heart, and he said, you go talk to him. And the rest is history. Now, we say that's providence, right? Well, I say that's foreknowledge. That is foreordained. That is not only God working, but God made that happen. Because he knew how the eunuch would respond. That is just one instance where God knows exactly how an individual will respond. And I think that is universal. And if he knows how we are going to respond, he knows our eternal destination because he knows how many days we have.
Psalm 139. I'll yield the last couple minutes and I will come back and touch on this here in just a moment. last week that as we were looking at this proposition that both Wes and I acknowledge agree that heaven or hell is going to be our eternal destination. So we're not talking about that in this debate. And we just mentioned in passing we're talking about where living people are going to be and whether God already knows where living people are going to be. Let me do some preliminary remarks and then I am not going to forget I promise Psalm 139 or Acts 8. I'm just going to start off tonight, though, by saying God does not already know my eternal destination. And I want to give a general reason why. I believe that this debate comes down to a discussion of God's omniscience. What does that mean? What God knows, what He does not know. I fully acquiesce to the fact that God knows and is aware. Psalm 139, I think, shows that in no uncertain terms, that God is aware of everything, every thought, every action, every feeling of every individual, for that matter, both on earth or who have ever lived. It's not a question of that. And I would not debate that God knows to that degree, to that extent, from Psalm 139 or many other passages Wes might have chosen. It's rather a question of that omniscience itself and whether it's total omniscience or limited. And here's what I mean by that. If we were to look up a formal definition of total omniscience, it means knowing everything that can be known. I think most people, many people at least, but I think most people would believe God has total omniscience. That is, God knows everything that can be known. He has that knowledge, including your eternal destination. But there is also something called inherent omniscience. And that's what I believe God has. That God has omniscience because of who God is. The very nature of God. It's the ability, and notice the slight nuance of difference here. It is the ability to know anything that can be known. Now notice, not that he does, but the ability to do that. But it is also the ability to know anything that is known or that one chooses to know. And that includes, therefore, the ability to choose not to know. In other words, we're not talking about God's ability to know everything. We're talking about what God might choose not to know. Now let's go further with that. Is God's ability is to know is His omniscience limited? I think many people want to say just in some fashion what I'm saying up here. That many people want to say God knows everything. God can do anything or can do everything. God is everywhere. Omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence, and they cite those attributes of God to prove that. So is God's omniscience limited? I'm going to say yes, and here's why. Because God says so. person might say, well, Michael, if you're going to say it's limited, who are you to challenge God? I'm not. But I want to allow God to say it. Let's start with God's omniscience. The ability to know anything but the choice not to. We talked about the divinity this morning, the Trinity, God, Son, Holy Spirit, Father. 
Jesus, the Son, is God. I don't think anyone here tonight would disagree with that. But Jesus chose, and the Holy Spirit chose, not to know the day and hour of judgment. They are fully God. The Bible would teach that. But they choose not to know something. By the same token, can God do everything? No, He cannot. God is not totally omnipotent. Not because He doesn't have the power to do anything, but because He chooses not to, given His nature. In other words, Titus 1, God cannot lie. It doesn't say God doesn't lie. It says He cannot. That is something He cannot do. He cannot deny Himself, 2 Timothy 2. What about His presence? He's not totally omnipresent. Hell exists somewhere. I said that this morning. And I talked about the Holy Spirit. But 2 Thessalonians 1 clearly shows God, Jesus in particular here, in 2 Thessalonians 1, will not be in hell. I said this morning the Holy Spirit would not follow one. He indwells into hell. So God's omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence are limited. And if they're limited, then that means with respect to His attributes, He may choose, especially when it's in violation of His nature, not to exercise the power that He has. That's good. How? Four minutes. Beautiful. God's foreknowledge is causative. Now, let me explain what I mean by this. It's not a mere discussion of amount. Someone might say, oh, you're saying then that God does not have omniscience. He doesn't have all knowledge, all ability, all presence. I'm saying that, but I'm saying that it's not a matter of amount. It's not that he's limited in knowledge because he cannot know. It's because he chooses to limit his knowledge in order to preserve man's free will. Why? Because if God knows something, absolute modality, if we speak of modality in an esoterical sense, we speak of the ability to know every proposition, every outcome, to pose any direction, and to know where it leads, absolutely. If God exercises that, for God to have absolute modality, it means that it's causative. God knows and therefore affects the outcome. He cannot be wrong. So if he looks out into the future and sees you going to heaven or sees you going to hell, you have to because he cannot be wrong. God is equally omniscient and omnipotent. Let me illustrate it. What does 2 plus 2 equal? Now, if you're old enough here, you know that 2 plus 2 is 4. But what if I were to say to you, don't know that? If I say to you, don't know that 2 plus 2 equals 4, can you do that? You know it. Can you not know it? The answer is no. God can. Because God not only has omniscience, He has omnipotence. He has the power to choose to know and the power to choose not to know what He could otherwise know. Now that's divine. And only God possesses that. You can't do that, but God can so it's important to understand why God would choose to not know man's eternal destination when he could know it. He chooses not to know it. I believe when Wes goes to Psalm 139, or especially when Psalm in Acts 8, when he looks at the unit, he's talking about God looking ahead and seeing what that person will do, and they have to do it if God knows it already. But you'll notice, for example, with the unit, uh, here's water. Can I be baptized? If you believe. 
There's still choice on the part of the unit. God has not looked ahead and seen his salvation. God has looked into the heart of an individual and known that he wants to know the truth and sent someone to teach him the truth, and then the choice is his. Various passages in the Bible, especially when concerning judgment or eternal destination, demonstrate God's choice not to know. Genesis 18.21, we heard that passage last week. I'm going to go to Sodom, I'm going to see, and then I'll know. Why would God do that? Well, because God does not want to cause the outcome by knowing ahead what they'll do. God wants the real choice given to these people in Sodom and Gomorrah. Just like he wants the real choice given to the unit in Acts chapter 8. And for that matter, in Psalm 139, yes, God is aware he knows everything about David. He knows the sum total of his days. He knows where he's come from. He knows every thought he has, every feeling he has, every action he takes. But he still leaves the future choice and the salvation of David up to David. We can look at plenty of Psalms where David is crying out for salvation and begging God to receive what's in his heart. Create in me a clean heart so I can be faithful to you. That kind of thing. His eternal salvation is not known. And Psalm 139 is not saved. So when we look in the Bible, again, God's knowledge is powerful. He knows. He can know everything. But He chooses not to know. Because when God knows something, it must come to pass. All right. Man, so God chooses to know or not to know. That's correct. That's very convenient that uh, someone claiming to know everything can choose to know or not to know. So, uh, good convenient answer there, uh, my friend uh, from last week. Why would he choose? Free will? Is that, is, is that why we would let someone choose? Well, maybe so. I want you to think about maybe another reason why. It might not be for free will. It might be because you don't like the person. I want you to go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It seems as though some people in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 do not have a choice. In fact... He mentioned 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. The Lord is clearly going to bring vengeance on those who do not obey the gospel. You would see that in chapter 1 and verse 8. But you remember how last week I think someone said, maybe it was me, maybe it was him, I don't remember. God is not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, right? 2 Peter chapter 3, I believe that's verse 9. We remember that, right? Why don't you tell me if that sounds kind of like this one right here. If you look with me in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, pick up verse 9, kind of in the middle of a thought and a difficult passage nonetheless, but I'm going to pick up in the middle of a thought here. It says, The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception. And here's the phrase, For those who are perishing. Okay? Now, it says that they are perishing. Notice the next phrase. Because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. So my friend Michael is going to say that they chose not to love the truth, therefore they perish. they're perishing. I agree with that. Okay? 
But I want you to notice what God does for these people who currently are not saved. Notice verse 11. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that they may be condemned who did not believe the truth but have pleasure in unrighteousness. You see, God's not choosing there so that they can have free will. God is not choosing to know that these people love unrighteousness rather than the truth for free will. He is choosing to know that these people love unrighteousness more than the truth so that He can condemn them. To the point that He sends these individuals that He knows what they are thinking and what they are going to do a strong delusion. Now, does that sound like someone who wants free will to be involved? That sounds to me like somebody who wants to condemn some people, and so he knows what they are going to do, and therefore he makes it happen. But you also see the reverse side of that. You see God making all things work together for good, For those that love the Lord and are called according to His purpose, Romans chapter 8, right? If you love good and you love the Lord, He's going to make it work out for good. If you don't love the Lord and you don't love good and you love unrighteousness, guess what? He's going to make it work out for your demise, your condemnation. So you're sitting there and telling me that God doesn't know that. Well, I want you to think about one specific example of a positive. I want you to go to Acts, the 16th chapter. In Acts, the 16th chapter, the Spirit of Jesus has been forbidding Paul and Timothy and Silas from going into the regions that they wanted to go. But we would learn down in... Oh, around verse 10, after man, after, what's his name? After Paul has a dream, a vision. And there's a man in the region of Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And we call that the Macedonian call sometimes. You notice verse 10 here of Acts 16. So when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Okay? So, Michael said in his last little thing, people that want to know what God wants to do, God sends them people. Okay, I'll grant that. Because we clearly send Philip, and Paul is concluding that they are clearly being sent. So they go. And remember, there's no synagogue in Philippi, which is the place they would normally go if they were going to go teach. So they went down by the water, by the riverside, where they supposed people would be praying. Now notice the language here in Acts chapter 16 and verse 14. So one of one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. And notice, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after... She was baptized, and her household, she urged us 
do this. Did you notice what your text just said right there? There was somebody that heard us. And the reason she heard us was because the Lord opened her heart. She didn't open her heart. The Lord did. The Lord caused her to open her heart because guess what? The Lord knew that she was going to respond. That the Lord knew that she would be saved. And therefore, the Lord had to make it happen. You see, the Lord opened her heart. Or you think in chapter 18, Paul is scared. He goes into the city of Corinth. And he is a little bit terrified because there is much danger for him in there. And the Lord gives him another vision in the night. And he would see down in verse 10. That the Lord gave to Paul a vision and he said, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, that's the end of verse 9, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months. See, the Lord knows his people. That's obvious. You would see that in Second Timothy chapter 2. The Lord knows those who are his. Well, does the Lord know those that are His, how they are going to respond in the situations? It seems as though they do if He knows what we are going to say before we say it. If He knows our days before they are ever formed, and that was something Michael didn't address a second ago, was, are my days already accounted for? I, according to Psalm 139 and verse 16... My days were written before I ever did. So doesn't that mean that in one sense God has already put that into play? That, Wes, you get, oh, how many years do I want? I think I'll take 83 in four months and two days. If he's already decided my days, what's to say he didn't decide my outcome? It seems to me he picks and chooses however he wants. Some he wants to show mercy to. Romans 9. Others he wants to show judgment to. And he picks and he chooses to help and to know when it is beneficial to the ones that he loves. God knows everything. He might not choose to know everything. But when he chooses, it is to make sure that that person ends up where they're supposed to because he already knows where they're going. Oh, man, I was right on the nose, too. This is going to turn into a, a, a debate about Calvinism if we're not careful, so let's not go there. Um, we're talking about God's ability to know. We are talking about God's power if he knows something. Wes is bringing up various examples of what God knows, either about the salvation, present or future, the condemnation, present or future, of certain individuals, and there's a lot of confusion there, but... 
let me make a statement and then go to a couple of passages that Wes was talking about. We already talked about the power of God, the ability to choose to know or not know. Scripture demonstrates there are things God chooses not to know, so I'm not going to belabor that point. We ask the question, but why would God do that? Because when God knows something, it must occur. Now think about that for a moment. If God knows you're going to heaven, you cannot miss heaven. If God knows you're going to hell, you cannot miss hell. Wes seems to be arguing that God already knows that. He's determined how many days on earth you're going to live and what you're going to do in those days. And therefore, God has already that group of people. He knows those that are his. He knows whatever percentage of human beings are going to heaven already. Knew it from the beginning of time. Knows it now. Will always know it. And knows who will be lost. Now, is that the way of things? If it is, then... All of these passages that we could cite, that you can go home and look up, but all of the passages that we could cite about choose, about choose you this day whom you will serve, Joshua 24, come unto me if you choose to come to me, etc., etc., all those passages would be rendered meaningless because God would already know ahead of time. But let's demonstrate just from the Bible God's ability to know something. For example, in Isaiah 44, at the end of the chapter, God prophesied to Isaiah of a man named Cyrus. Cyrus was going to be a future king of Persia over 125 years in the future. Now, what does that mean? Well, as Isaiah writes, Assyria is the power. It had not yet fallen, and Babylon, who would take over, had not yet even come into power, much less fallen, but by the time of Cyrus... Both of those things would have occurred. It's before the captivity of the Jews to Babylon and subsequently to Persia. It's before the birth of Cyrus or even before the birth of his parents. And God says this King Cyrus is going to decree that the Jews can return from captivity and rebuild the temple. God knows that. Now I ask you a question. Once it's foreknown by God, is there any possibility that that cannot occur? The answer is no. Because if God knows it, it will happen. Now think about your own personal salvation. If God God chose to know Cyrus was going to be born, but if God chooses to know you are going to be saved or lost, is there any possibility you cannot follow that decision, that modality of God to be saved or lost? The answer is no. And that's why God would choose not to know Stop right there and look at a couple of passages. Go with me to 2 Thessalonians 2 for a moment. Wes talked about what God wishes. God wants people to be saved. But he didn't think so because God predetermines some to be saved, some to be lost. Is that the way of things? No, it's not. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4 says God would have, he will have all men to be saved. But all people are not going to be saved. Does that mean that all people are not going to follow what God would choose if it were strictly and only left up to the action of God? That's exactly what it means. God would have all people to be saved, but they're not going to be because they're not going to choose to be saved. In fact, what's going to happen is some people, Romans 1 verse 18, are going to suppress the truth. And that's true. And some people, Romans 9, and you mentioned Romans 9, God would have mercy on some and not on others. Some people are going to literally, verse 22, fit themselves to destruction. And when they do, 
they're going to be destroyed. And a, and a person can do that to the point that he no longer has an open mind, no longer has a, a good heart, no longer has a conscience that's working, because the Bible speaks of the actions we take, we can get to the point where our heart is hardened, like Pharaoh in Romans 9. We can get to the point where our conscience is, she is seared, like people, for example, in 1 Timothy 4. We can get to the point where we no longer will choose to do good. And at that point, Romans 1, God gives us over. Or 2 Thessalonians 2, God sends strong delusion. It's not because God is looking at an individual and saying, Oh boy, I better step in here and I better do something, interject something, because if I don't, they're going to be saved and I want them to be lost. It's because they have made the choices so that they will be lost. God is looking at that individual and is fully aware that that person is so far gone, they are not ever coming back. Now, God can know that. It's not that He determines it. It's that He knows it. The Lord knows those that are His. Yes. Every individual on the earth who is a child of God, right now, God knows. Everyone who's ever died faithful, God knows. But does that mean God knows, God knows every choice that every person will make in the future so that that person will be a Christian, and then if they start to foul it up, he jumps in there and changes that. No, it does not mean that. In fact, I want to get over here and do this and try to get this. How much time do I have? Two minutes. Let's try to get it in quickly as far as God's providence is concerned, because I do believe things are by the action of God's providence. When God limits what Satan can do, what temptation may be levied against you, in other words, not stronger than you're able to bear. When God gives you opportunities, when He does all of these things providentially that He does, it is not to steer one toward a predetermined or foreknown outcome. God is still giving choice. Many choices. Even though now you have an opportunity you might not otherwise have had if God had not intervened. It's a result of God's divine assessment, notice, of where a person is. Not where they will be or He demands that they be. It's the possibilities. God gives those choices to individuals in many passages to teach that. Um, but God does not predetermine and give us no choice. God gives us these things, limits what can happen to us, and then says to us, Now, I'm giving you a, a fighting chance, a clear choice. You can make the decision to obey me or not obey me. And I won't choose to know that because I won't affect which choice you make. I'll leave that choice purely in your hands. I would that all people will be saved. I will help you as much help as you want. I will give you the help that you ask for and seek. But I will not predetermine what's going to happen to you, and I won't force that on you. At any given point in time, God can know your heart, know where you are, know where you're headed. Know your needs, know your possibilities, and God will act accordingly. But He won't force salvation or the loss of it on you. So again, I go back to the question, why does God choose? So if he knows a bad heart, those in Second Thessalonians 2, they hate the truth, so be saved. Well, let me paint the picture the other way. Someone is loved righteousness, 
for years and years and years and years and years. Why does God not choose to make sure that they are saved? He knows their heart. He knows that they love righteousness. He knows that it's good. Why would he choose to know bad hearts, Ahab, for instance? Oh, I want him to die, so I'm going to tell him what's going to happen. He's not going to believe me anyway, uh, and he's going to die, and all Israel's going to be scattered like sheep without a shepherd. Why then? Why Second Thessalonians 2? But do we not have any record of people who had good hearts, God choosing to know that, and giving them, I don't know, I'm going to her, but favor, ultimate favor, of you're not going to because I know. See, that's my problem with God picking and choosing, knowing and not knowing. Why did you choose to know bad and not choose to know good? If the outcome is the same, if he knows that my heart is good and I'm always going to be faithful to him, did he make me do that? Or is that just what was always going to happen? Yet you understand my question. I find that to be very interesting. If he knows that someone's going to be lost, yeah, I understand that. Whatever's going to But did he make me do that? Or did I still have a choice in it? I think picking and choosing is very difficult for me as an individual understand given what God Alright, so we're looking at Second Thessalonians two, we're looking at God's assessment of someone that is too far gone. They are so far gone, Pharaoh and Romans nine, etc. We're looking at that and we're saying, God determines, that's what I would say, God determines that that individual is hopeless and acts accordingly. Wes brought up the scenario of an individual who lived faithful for years and years and years and years, and I suppose what you're, you're getting at is, have not an 11th hour conversion, but an 11th hour slip up. And why would God allow that to happen if he looks at a person and knows that it's the case? My answer to that is he would take the exact same action. It's an interesting story in the Old Testament, and I think it is King Josiah was flipping through there very quickly. Now, you don't have time tonight to get into the historical background, but I guess you go home and look at it. I will, and if, that's not, if it's not Josiah, I will go home and find it quickly. But a person who lived there, and a person who was fouling him, and God does not choose exactly one bad time in life, but providentially provides for salvation. I think I've seen that in my own personal life. So no, God doesn't look at an individual and predetermine where they're going to be and make it happen. No, He doesn't do that. And God does take into account everything in your life, every action, where your heart is, what you really want. And only God knows that. You can't do it. He will know one way or the other where you are headed for and where you want to be headed for. And he will know, we all always say, you've got to do your best. He'll know what you're doing. God will take care of you. And that's the confidence we have. Now, if you want to fool around with your conscience and 
not obey God and just sear your conscience and harden your heart, no, God is not going to intervene and say, I'm not going to let that happen. But God will be there. Thank you very much. Well, I said this last week, we were done with the debate. I said this last week, these things are way above my intellectual level. Specifically, this one, like, I, I, I'm not smart enough for this. Uh, but I think you can see it can be a very complicated and very complex issue. Like some of the other things, it's a lot more cut and dry than some of these, uh, some of these things. And... I'll tell you, it's, it's been really difficult. It's very hard sometimes to put limitations on, on a God who we believe to have all strength and all knowledge. But I think we can see that God does put limits on himself uh, from time to time, that there are things in which he is not able to do. But one of the things that he says that he is able to do, and it is not a problem, is that when man can't save himself, which... That is our lack of strength, that is our inability, that is our, the way in which we sin, we cannot save ourselves. But Isaiah 59 says, the Lord's hand is not short, that it cannot save. And his ear is not dull, that it cannot hear. If any salvation is going to take place, it is because God has made it possible to will and to work for his good pleasure, I believe, was a phrase like maybe last week. I believe in verse 12, I think that is. Will, Lord, God wants us to be saved. That doesn't mean that God knows what we are going to do. He could, and I believe that. But the truth is, we each individually know about ourselves. Where we are at right here, right now. We know that we can't save ourselves, but we might be living like we can. We might know that, hey man, right thing, right now things are going really good. But who knows what's going to happen three years down the road. I don't. You don't. God might. The truth is, it's an everyday decision. Remember the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 9? If you're going to be my disciple must take up your cross daily and follow. And that's what we've all decided to do, those of us that are here and become Christians. It's our daily God knows our hearts. God knows that. But I know my heart too. Am I laying down my life every day for the cause of Christ? That's what I can do. And that's what I'm going to do here for the next little bit as long as my days may be. And may each of us do the same with that. If you're ready this evening to bury your old man into the body of Christ and be raised to walk in newness of life, now would be the perfect time. Or you need the prayers of the congregation here. Why don't you come down as we stand and as we sit?